Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Down the Line. It's episode number 62. It is Thursday, August 18th, 2022. It's just after 12 o'clock here on the West Coast. Like I mentioned, episode 62, that same number. Steph Curry scored in a basketball game for the most points scored for him. Most career points in a basketball game of 62. Um, We got Kyle Betts. I'm Brevin Honda. Um, How's it going, Kyle? going great it's been a pretty good week for me um we've had a lot more sports news happen within that last week too so um we're gonna get down into it and we really do have a lot to talk about because um there's been stuff on the field off the field Mm -hmm. um field or court i mean either way you put it it's been just a wild ride so far and i think for our teams as well yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get into the fast five. We're gonna talk Fernando Tatis Jr. his eighty game suspension. We're gonna talk another suspension on the football field as well that was announced earlier this morning. We're gonna get into some fantasy football quarterbacks as well that will also be the subject of trivia for Kyle today. Um, we're gonna get to some NBA. The 2022-2023 schedule was unveiled yesterday so we're going to start off with the fast five and we start off in the WNBA where Sevilla Fowles of the Minnesota Lynx recorded a double double in addition to her 4,000th rebound in her final game of her career on Sunday playing against the Connecticut Sun and she left to a standing ovation in the game's final minute and uh, th- uh, speaking of 4,000th rebound she is the only player in WA. WNBA history with at least 4,000 rebounds. Yeah, that's incredible. She's another one of the greats. And we see a lot of those, you know, talented, great players this generation. Um, it's coming to an end because we're going to see Diana Taurasi at some point, you know, hanging up and Sue Bird obviously will too. And so it's going to be um, sad to see them move on. And Sylvia Fowles is one of them as well. I mean, that's an incredible accomplishment for her to, you know, lead that league with 4,000 rebounds being the most, more than anyone else. Um, and so she's definitely one of the greats. Mm-hmm. Currently, de- the WNBA playoffs are going on right now, involving Deanna Trossi and Subert with their teams. Um, we move on to baseball, where the Texas Rangers announced a couple of moves surrounding their front office and their manager, um, the Rangers relieved manager Chris Woodward of his duties on Monday. And then two days later yesterday, the team relieved John Daniels of his president of baseball operations duties. Executive VP and general manager Chris Young will assume Daniels' job in the meantime. Yeah, you see them kind of make that adjustment. And uh, this definitely changes the scope of how the Rangers are going to be built in years to come. Obviously, they mm-hmm. have. Corey Seager to that big contract, but um, right now the season's sitting at 52 and 65. They're only a game and a half ahead of the Angels right now, so um, I guess it could be worse for them, but obviously not where they want to be, and they decided to make change because of that. Mm-hmm. All right, we, we move on to golf. Will Zalatoris, who had won the most money on the PGA Tour this season, but did that all without a win. Got his first PGA Tour win on Sunday at the FedEx St. Jude Championship in a playoff after numerous second-place finishes, including tied for second at uh, the U.S. Open back in June, the PGA Championship in May, the Farmers Insurance Open back in January, as well as the 2021 Masters. So 
Will Zalator finally comes through uh, hoisting a trophy on the PGA Tour? Yeah, this is a guy I've heard a lot about within the last, you know, year, year and a half or so. And he's really been on the come up and you've seen that. He's just not able to get the win, but this time um, finally won the FedEx St. Jude Championship. So you see him take that step in his career. Um, and he earned it too in that playoff. I heard it was, um, you know, pretty exhilarating as well. I didn't see it myself, but um, just seeing the tweets about it and reaction, you know, um, great to see him get a win and he's definitely deserving, deserving of something like that. With the wins out, Taurus moved up into the top spot in the FedEx cup standings entering this week's BMW championship, where he is teeing off with Scotty Scheffler, um, in this first grouping, uh, today with this in the grouping, uh, today and tomorrow. All right, we move on we're going back to baseball. The Atlanta Braves continue their stretch of locking up young players long-term as they signed outfielder Michael Harris second to $72 million over the next eight years until 2030. The team announced on Tuesday and Harris also has clubs options for 2031 and 2032. Yeah. Michael Harris only 21 years old and he's already earning his contract uh, with the Atlanta Braves. You see him, you know, already take that step in his young career. And that's just great to see is um, he's had a good season hitting 288 right now, 12 home runs, 38 RBIs. And he's also um, a speedster. He's got 14 stolen bases. So um, he's a good overall player for them. And um, he's going to be next to uh, Ronald Acuna, I'm sure for a long time. And uh, you see him take that deal. Um, Braves getting some value out of it too. I think there's a lot of potential there and um, they're only paying 72 million, which, um, some can argue he could be worth more yep. in the potential scope of his career, mm-hmm. but uh, at least so far, um, they seem to make the right move, and they're locking up a lot of guys for the long term. Mm-hmm. You think about cheaper deals. Obviously, keep Ryan Hayes earlier from the year from the Pittsburgh Pirates as well. But from this Braves team, um, you got now it's you got two guys locked up until twenty thirty two, along with Austin Riley, who signed that ten year contract earlier this month. Uh, Matt Olson's locked up yep. till 2030. Uh, Max Freed at 2024. Kyle Wright, 26. William Contreras, Spencer Strader, and Ozzy Alves locked up until 2027. Vaughn Grisham and Ronald Acuna Jr. locked up till 2028. So you see that core of Atlanta Braves players locked up long term. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, number five here on the Fast Five, the Little League World Series began on Wednesday in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, with Curacao taking down Nicaragua 2-0 on the international side, followed by Tennessee getting the 5-3 win over Massachusetts Massachusetts on the U.S. side of pool play. That, that game between Tennessee and Massachusetts went two hours and nine minutes, but there was a rain delay that lasted longer than the game, about two and a half hours. Yeah, that's crazy to see them stick that out. Respect to them for that. Um, But it's great to see the Little League World Series back. I know it's always fun to watch during August, and um, hopefully it's going to be a really good one this season. We've seen a lot of really great moments in recent years. Um, Hopefully we see some standouts as well, because we've seen the history of a lot of guys in the Little League World Series, you know, make it big in the MLB. Like, I think Todd Frazier is one of those guys. Mm So, yeah. it's always fun to see, you know, kids who have a lot of potential eventually work their way up. Todd Frazier, you think Gary Sheffield, you think Jerks and Profar as well. So just a few yeah. of the little leaguers. You could put Nick Prado even in that conversation, had that walk-off home run the other day for uh, the Royals. Yeah. 
Yep. All right. We're uh, on Sunday. The Red Sox are taking on the Orioles. It's the Little League Classic. Um, played in Williamsport. That game is part of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN. We continue on talking MLB. And on Monday, the playoff schedule was announced uh, this year. Like we've mentioned previously, this playoff format has been expanded from 10 teams to 12 teams in this bracket style. So similar uh, format to the NFL. The wild card round um, uh, is made up of the top three wild card teams, as well as the lowest uh, division winner by record. And that is the wild card. It's a best of three series. So there's no more single game wild card games. It's uh, three games and it will all be at the lower seeds or at the higher seeds home. So if you're the number three seed and you're that last division winner, you're going to host the wild card. Same thing as if you're the top seed from the wild card, you're going to host uh, the number five seed. Um, also, the schedule was announced as well. The uh, postseason is supposed to start, I think, October 7th. And then the latest um, World Series game, game seven, would be, I think, be November 7th. Yeah, absolutely. So it's going to be a really interesting postseason this year, especially with, you know, 12 teams being a part of it. And, um, Right now, the AL wild card is really heating up. That race is mm-hmm. incredibly close right now. Seattle leading the way um, in that regard with Tampa Bay and Toronto just behind. But um, Minnesota, Baltimore, and the White Sox, they're only, you know, within two games back. So I think that's going to be a fun race to watch as well. Obviously, the NL is a little close as well with the Padres pretty much competing against the Brewers right now to this point. But um, we've seen the Padres be – you know, a little more successful as well. So we're going to get into that. Yeah. And you look at, you look at the standings as a whole, you mentioned the Padres, um, they're half game back of the Phillies for that second spot in the wild card. They're six yeah. and a half back of the Braves um, in order to host that wild card series between uh, in that four or five spot. So it'd be interesting, interesting to see how that works out. You mentioned that American league side, there's six T. Seven teams fighting for three spots. If you include the Red Sox, they're four games back of the Toronto Blue Jays. So it's going to be a tight race. And in terms of the division race, um, the you got Milwaukee and St. Louis fighting it out in the NL Central. And then in the American League Central, you got three teams separated by two games. The uh, Guardians hold the way at 63 and 55. The Minnesota Twins are just a game back. And the Chicago White Sox are two games back. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be very close in the AL. Um, we're especially going to see that during September as well. Um, just going to be an absolute dogfight there. And we'll see if the Padres and the Phillies can try and, you know, pull away a little bit and separate themselves from the Brewers and the Giants as well. Yep. So mm-hmm. um, anything can happen. So I think um, they just got to, you know, take advantage of what they have left on their schedules and make the most of it, obviously. You're going to see the Dodgers, you know, probably end up with the best record in the NL. And then on the AL side, could either be the Yankees or the Astros. Yankees, you know, um, kind of been slumping a little bit as of late, but um, had a big one yesterday. Um, So, you know, anything can happen within these next couple months. Heading into yesterday play, you bring up the Yankees, Kyle. They have the third heading into yesterday's play. So before 
play began August 17th. They had the third worst record since July 9th, going 11 and 22. Yeah, they have not been great as of late, but definitely a big win for them yesterday. Um, they're trying to get some more momentum because they had the best record in the AL for so long. Now it's the Astros. Mm-hmm. Only the Nationals and Tigers have had worse records. <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to talk about the Padres and uh, we're going to bring this within a fair or foul segment as last week about five hours after we recorded our latest episode last week. Um, and this is also 30 minutes before the Padres were taking on the Nationals in D.C. Uh, news came out that Padres shortstop Fernando Tatis Jr. was suspend- suspended 80 games for testing positive for close to ball, which violates MLB's performance-enhancing drug policy. And Kyle, when you heard this, what was your reaction? Yeah, I was at the gym when I got this, and I was just like, what? Like, how did this even happen? And you see him initially claim it was for ringworm. Mm -hmm. And um, it's definitely hard to believe because we've kind of seen the narrative, you know, flip a couple times ever since that news came out, but it was definitely shocking regardless. Um, Whether or not he he meant to took it, I I think that, you know, it still happened and he has to be more aware of what goes in his body either way. His state, uh, Fernando's statement uh, uh, from the Major League Baseball Player Association um, on Friday said, I have been informed by Major League Baseball that a test sample I submitted returned a positive result for a close to ball, a banned substance. It turns out I inadvertently took a medication to treat ringworm that contained close to ball. I should have used the resources available to me in order to ensure that no banned substances were in what I took. I failed to do so. I want to apologize to Peter, AJ, the entire Padres organization, my teammates, Major League Baseball, and fans everywhere for my mistake. I have no excuse for my error, and I would never do anything to cheat or disrespect the game I love. I've taken countless drug tests throughout my professional career, including on March 29, 2022, all of which have returned negative results until this test. I am completely devastated. There is nowhere in the world... I would rather be than on the field competing with my teammates. After initially appealing the suspension, I have realized that my mistake was the cause of this result. And for that, I have decided to start serving my suspension immediately. I look forward to rejoining my teammates on the field in 2023. Yeah, that's definitely, you know, an impactful statement, but I don't know how far it goes because we don't know the validity of that if if it's true or what exactly happened so it's um definitely hard to tell because like i said we've seen this story change a little bit since then as well um with his father speaking up um and uh just the reaction of the padres and um you know his teammates pretty much Mm -hmm. yeah when i thought about this i uh, the first thing that came to mind was was the lockout that we had back in the winter and yeah. where there was no update from players, the players couldn't talk to, you know, the team, their teams because of the lockout that was going on. Yeah. They couldn't use team facilities. And I thought that this happened during the lockout where, you know, Fernando 
mentioned in his statement that, you know, he didn't, he needs to make sure, and maybe he didn't have that opportunity to make sure because of uh, the lockout uh, back in the winter. Yeah, most definitely. And that's, you know, another thing, we don't know what these players were doing and, Mm -hmm. you know, um, his accident, you know, what happened with that. It's just, you know, I think it's a lack of accountability, you know, just overall. And so, um, you definitely hate to see him uh, get suspended for the amount of time that he is, but mm-hmm. um, it's definitely you know tough to see um, him also getting you know and in, being ineligible for the World Baseball Classic coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he uh, Fernando will be suspended for forty-eight games of this season, and then another thirty-two in twenty twenty-three. He is ineligible for this year's playoffs and the real baseball classic. That is probably a blessing in disguise. You think about what has happened over the last year, year and a half. Um, you think about, we know we've heard about the motorcycle accident that's hurt the wrist. We know yep. the, the shoulder popping out a few times last year. Um, and AJ Preller um, on Friday talked to the media. He said, we'll start digging into more like the shoulder and the wrist. We'll look more into that now because we'll have some more time to have some conversations there. We need, what we need to get to is at some point in time is we trust. Uh, We need that trust over the course of the last six or seven months. I think that's been something we really haven't been able to have from our standpoint. Obviously he's a great talent. He's a guy that we have a lot of history with and do believe in but these things these things only work when they're stressed both ways that's going to be something we're going to have plenty of conversation and time to talk with fernando if we're going to have a partnership and a relationship we've got to really make sure that's strong end quote yeah aj proler um obviously we all know how smart he is and we see it through this quote um he's speaking you know honestly but um, truthfully also, because mm-hmm. that, that's what needs to happen. I think for that relationship to remain, if it is going to at all. So I think that's going to be really important for them, uh, to continue with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you think about moving forward, you mentioned, uh, probably mentioned those conversations, uh, Dennis Lynn from the athletic tweeted about about an hour ago or within the last hour that, uh, Tatis and Preller have spoken since the suspension announcement, according to sources. Um, it's been all via phone. It hasn't been in person. Um, it's still TBD on the timing of in-person meetings with Preller. Uh, that's Peter Seidler, the Padres uh, owner, and as well as the team, as well as when Tatis will be at Petco Park. So um, the date has kind of been a little up in the air as to when Tatis will uh, return to Petco Park. Yeah, this is tough to see. I mean, we all wanted to see him make his comeback, and mm-hmm. he was just not able to. Um, and for you know, for you to see that with several reasons being a part of it, I think that's what's even scarier. You know, it's not just the motorcycle accident, or it's just not the suspension. It's both. And mm-hmm. I mean, um, there hasn't necessarily been the best relationship there. I think his whole career to this point. So um hopefully it can get better um i saw a lot of negative reaction on twitter you know saying void contract and stuff like that which obviously i don't think they would do yet just because you know he's still so young and the potential is there and he just needs to you know kind of rebuild that relationship if Mm -hmm. he wants to you know get back to having that same level of respect that he once had because i think this situation especially 
um, with him, you know, kind of violating the ethics of the game. Um, I think that definitely hurts his legacy, at least to this point, a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, I wrote a story for Sportsnot uh, talking about the Padres and Fernando Tatis Jr. about his suspension. And I went into that aspect on Tatis's on that side for Tatis and uh, what he kind of has to do now. And I think he he's at this point in his career where, yeah, he's got Manny Machado. Yeah, he's got some of these veteran players within the organization. But I think he really now needs to get to a point where he needs to branch out to some of these other veterans within the game. And the one player I mentioned within that story was Nelson Cruz, who was suspended 50 games um, for violating PEDs. This was back in 2013. And when we think about Nelson Cruz now, we think about how much of a go-to player that he is in the clubhouse. He's obviously a veteran presence around a, a young Nationals team. But I think those are the type of players that, um, that Fernando's going to have to go to. Guys like Nelson Cruz, you could put um, even Hall of Famers in that mix. You know, Pedro Martinez, you could put Big Poppy in there. Some of these players yeah. with even Dominican backgrounds as well. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that's a great point. That's what he should do. And I think you're absolutely right when you mentioned Nelson Cruz. He's kind of been that guy um, who was, you know, one of the faces of their team, I mean, you know, for any team he was on. And um, his suspension, you know, definitely affected him negatively. And same for all those other guys that you mentioned. But um, I, I think seeking that counselship, that that mentorship is going to be important for him because um, getting that experience and I, I think maturing is going to be a part of just learning. So um, hopefully he's able to do that uh, during his time when he's away from the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we think about the injury aspects, you know, the shoulder, the wrist, you know, he didn't want surgery on the shoulder, nor did he want surgery on the wrist. You know, now that he's not playing for nine months, it'd be interesting interesting to see um, where he goes with that. Um, When you think about in terms of, you know, he hasn't played an entire year, you know, we know the injuries that he had in 2019, 2020, he only played 60 games, and last year we saw what happened with the shoulder, so. Yep. That'd be that's that's the other aspect too when it comes to um the conversations that he'll have with AJ Preller, as Preller mentioned um within that quote. But now this team has to move on from that. Uh, Bob Melvin said after the game on Friday that this is the blow for us and we'll have to move on. I'm glad we made the moves we did at the deadline. We feel like we have a good team still, and sometimes you have to deal with some adversity as a team. You think about adding players like Juan Soto, another 23-year-old superstar. You think about uh, adding Josh Bell and Brandon Jury as well as Josh Hayer. This team still yep. added the pieces, whether or not they knew that Fernando was going to come back. Yeah, and there were a lot of questions about Haseon Kim, if he was yep. going to continue mm-hmm. to get play time, but he will, and uh, that's with Jay Cronenworth as well. So that's great to see. I think that's a good tandem to have, you know, in the middle of your infield and, um, hopefully they're able to produce a little more as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think the Padres are still in a great position regardless. Um, uh, and Bob Melvin, that, that quote is totally correct. I mean, that's absolutely valid. And um, that's why AJ Preller, he's one of the best in the game. You know, he's prepared for a situation like this, you know, even though we didn't want that to happen, um, you can't control the unexpected. So um, it, it's great to see him and the team get prepared for, you know, this kind of situation, even though, you know, it's so unfortunate. Yeah, that's kind of something that Joe Musgrove said bef- 
you know, when they had that team meeting, he didn't really know what happened. He thought someone had died or something like that. Cause uh, you yeah. know, it's really weird to, for a team meeting to ha- team meeting to happen 30 minutes before a first pitch. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We're going to move on from the Padres. We're going to talk some angels. They took two or three from the twins at home last week. Uh, that included a Taylor Ward walk-off, uh, I think it was a two-run homer at Angel Stadium. And Kyle, what what, what was your takeaways from that twin series? Yeah, I, I thought we saw some really good things from the Angels. You saw the pitching step up a little bit. Um, it was definitely a crazy game that, that Saturday comeback win. Um, Magnura Sierra being a big part of it, trying to go for the inside the park home run, but getting thrown <laughs> out at home. But um, – you know, after, you know, a sort of wacky, you know, 10th inning, you see Taylor Ward kind of walk it off in, the, in that win. Um, a, former, so that was, a former Padre, Emilio Pagan. Yeah, yeah, we see him. Uh, we've seen him blow a lot of games for this one. Yep. Season. <laughs> That's kind of what happened in San Diego a little bit too. But, yeah, it, it's great to see them take that series, um, even though, you know, they had a three-game series here uh, starting on Monday back at the big a and um just couldn't get anything to happen and really just go their way yeah and then now we also got news some positive news surrounding mike trout we know he's been dealing with these quote-unquote chronic back issues he's been rehabbing kyle what's the news surrounding mike trout yeah so he's expected to make his return this weekend against the tigers uh that's expected to happen tomorrow so friday in that series uh, up in Detroit, you saw him tweet Detroit with a bunch of exclamation <laughs> parts and uh, uh, the plane emojis as he always does. But uh, it's going to be great to see him make his return because this lineup needs it. And we haven't seen that production from guys like Magnera Sierra. I mean, he's just not the solution in the outfield. Um, Joe Adele hopefully can get some days off as a result of this as well. Um just want to see this team remain competitive because, I mean, Shohei Otani has really been doing it at all, and we we saw that in game one of the series against the Mariners as well. Yeah, currently the Angels are 51-67. and 67. They're currently in fourth place of the National League West. They're 24 and a half games back of the Houston Astros for first place, and they are uh, 12 games back of the wild card. Um, think about... Earlier this week, they had a three-game home series against the Mariners, and it was pretty, uh, pretty memorable, wouldn't you say, Kyle? Yeah, memorably bad, <laughs> I guess you could say. Uh, got swept by the Mariners uh, at home, and just some of the worst performances I've ever seen. Uh, someone say on the field, someone say, you know, behind the dish as well. Yeah, you had errors uh, left and right in game one. Let's first talk about that. Ninth inning comes around. Uh, there was, I think it was first and third for the Mariners. Uh, I can't remember who was at the plate, but line drive hit two. I think it was Andrew Velasquez at second base. He's playing yeah. in. I, I can't, t- I couldn't tell if the ball hit off. I think it was Luke, Aaron Loop was pitching. I couldn't tell if the ball hit off Aaron Loop or what, but the mound, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, but you saw Andrew Velasquez drop the ball. Yep. You think about I mentioned runners at first and third. Instead of throwing, instead of getting the out at second base, and this is when the Angels were just down three to two in the top of the ninth inning. 
Yep. He instead of throwing to second base five feet away for the out, he yep. throws home. Yeah. And what that did was it led to a rundown between third and home. Yeah. Uh, and Aaron Loop did not cover home. No, because Aaron Loop was going back towards second base. There was nobody at home plate. So I think oh. it was JP Crawford. No, it wasn't JP Crawford. Uh, I can't remember I who remember scored, who yeah. but after I think Kurt Suzuki uh, got the ball through to third base, he followed oh, Max Stassi. Oh, it was Max Stassi. Okay. After yeah. Stassi threw to third base, he was hoping that somebody would be there, but there was no one there. And there was a free run for the uh, Mariners yeah. and um, they didn't even get an out at all. Yeah. And it just kept going and going. And uh, there was another play where Jose Rojas went home with a uh, baseball um, and he slipped before doing that. So the runner was safe. And so it was just like everything that could have gone wrong in that game went wrong for the Angels. It was one of the worst performances I've ever seen. There was a quote from Max Sassy about that. And I even shared with you on Twitter, Revan, there was a tweet from uh, athletic writer Sam Blum who said, you know, this is one of the worst defensive performances I've ever seen. And, you know, he was pretty much going off on Twitter about it. I mean, rightfully so. It was just absolutely embarrassing baseball. Did it compare to anything like uh, that scene in Angels in the Outfield where there was one play that involved 19 errors in the same play? Yep, that or uh, <laughs> also compare it to Bad News Bears. Uh, <laughs> uh. Uh, I still remember that scene from Angels in the Outfield. The broadcaster was like, uh, he t- he's going over the play, turns <laughs> off his microphone, and then tells his, his uh, producer's runner how many errors were on that play. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's uh, pretty much what happened in that ninth inning. It was really bad. Mm-hmm. But, and then... Yeah. Game two, there was also some more antics. Uh, not as many errors from the Angels, but, well, you could put the Angels with making an error, but it was more of a mental error. Yeah, so the home plate umpire, there was one out, I believe. There Laz was Diaz out. was behind the plate. Yeah. Um, I think there was, you know, one runner on and one out, and it was a two-and-two count. And it was a fastball. It was pretty much right down the middle. I mean, it was a little bit elevated. And it was called a ball. And that forced the count to 3-2, eventually walked him. And then uh, next batter, J.P. Crawford, I I believe he flied out. And then after that, the runs just started pouring on for the Mariners. And I believe they scored six runs against Jesse Chavez. And so when something like that happens, you, you, you just hate it because that, that's a call that should be made. That should have been a strikeout. Um, Crawford likely, I mean, would have flied out either way. I mean, it's not guaranteed, but um, since it happened, you kind of go back and you're like, man, the inning should have been over. Yep. Mm-hmm. When you see someone's ERA just go, you know, sky high because of that, I mean, it was already not great for it to begin. That's why, I mean, that's a part of why he gave up six runs too. Um, still regardless, it, it just hurts to see because before this game, his ERA was four, seven, six. Now it's 10.8. And that's just, um, so he actually gave him five runs on six, but still to my point, it's just 
it's it's tough to see, especially a guy like that who's you know nearing the end of his career. Um, hopefully he's bounce, he's going to be able to bounce back in his next appearance. But man, it just that was a tough game to see because mm-hmm. the Angels went to the bottom of the ninth down six runs. So yeah. that's essentially what mm-hmm. happened. Just to reiterate that um, that was a that was a walk on three pitches instead of four. Yeah. And uh, Jeff Fletcher from the OC Register, uh, he got a quote from last day after the game. He said he he did in fact lose track of the count. Uh, Lazia said, "quote I messed that one up." Yeah. And yeah, and when I think about mental error from the Angels side, uh, Jeff Fletcher, Jeff Fletcher uh, also included within his tweet, he um, said he also said if the Angels had pushed their objection further, they would have either checked with the other umpires to correct it, or gone to video to correct it. Yeah. So it's, you know, I, I don't know what's what's going to happen with that, but it, it's definitely tough to see that situation go down. And then in game three of the series, did you see any of that game? I knew uh, Shohei Otani, he went four for five, had a homer, a triple, and four RBIs and was the first. And the Angels were the first team in like 10 years to lose when a guy hits has that those type of numbers. The previous teams were like 26-0. Yeah, the uh, the tweet that Daniel Guerrero, uh, one of our car- colleagues um, from the Daily Aztec, he sent us a tweet that said, Shohei Otani went four for five, triple home run, four RBIs. Angels lose 11 to seven. And that's a tweet we've seen way too often this season. Yeah, you think about, um, you know, it's kind of similar to that game. I think it was last week or a couple weeks ago. The Angels had seven solo home runs, but still lost the game. It was like nine to seven or something like that. It just feels similar to that tweet when you get that type of offensive production, but you can't find a way to get the win. Yeah, it definitely hurts to see that. So um, hopefully the Angels are able to bounce back, at least at all. And you see Mike Trout coming back for the series. Um, definitely a winning, winnable series. Heading into Detroit, I would say mm-hmm. um, it just depends on the performances of their pitching staff. I think that's really what it's going to come down to. Hopefully, we see a spark in the lineup as well with Mike Trout, you know, making a return. Um, Luis Rangifo has pretty much been the best hitter for mm-hmm. the Angels. I mean, really, in the past month. Yeah, let's see if the Angels can go on a fourteen-game winning streak. <laughs> That's what the Cleveland Indians did. Uh, yeah. Back when they won. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the NBA news surrounding the Lakers, news on the 2022-2023 NBA schedule, and we're going to get some football as well, including talks of fantasy football quarterbacks. That's all coming up next on Down the Line.
What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Down the Line. I'm Kyle Betts, joined by Reverend Honda. This is episode 62. Here of Down the Line, we already got into our uh, news from the past week here in sports. We got into some baseball as well, got into the uh, Padres, their situation right now, dealing with the Tatis Jr. suspension as he uh, violated the MLB's PED policy and uh, how the team will move forward. We got into some Angels as well. And now we're going to talk some Lakers and get into what's going on right now in the NBA as well. Yeah, the NBA, uh, with the Lakers, um, first off, they, according to Adrian Wojnarowski of uh, ESPN, the Lakers signed LeBron James to a two-year extension for $97.1 million, which includes a player option for 2024-2025. He was under contract this year, uh, final year of his deal for $44 million. Yeah, definitely a great signing for the Lakers to keep LeBron around. I think you want to, you know, keep your guy around who's going to be the face of a franchise for years to come. And uh, we might see him and Bronny team up for a year now, <laughs> especially with that um, player option as well. I think that's going to be really important for him. Um, you definitely want to see the Lakers get better. Um, we haven't seen too much of improvement here so far in free agency, but um, with the healthy LeBron, healthy Anthony Davis, I think they can get off to a better start and continue that at least um, even with the lineup that they have, because um, you want to see Russell Westbrook kind of improve as well um, with the contract that he has. Um, the Lakers need to remain competitive this season in order to, you know, attract guys even for the years that LeBron is there to come. Mm -hmm. And this is also under new head coach Darvin Ham uh, yeah. with the Lakers. So that kind of locks up LeBron for, Pretty much when you look at it, three years when you think about it. So that's pretty much the time that Frank Vogel was in L.A. was about approximately three years. So um, it gives LeBron and Darvin Ham that three-year time window um, to go after championships. And when we think about championships, the Lakers yeah. announced that they will hang Pau Gasol's number 16 uniforms in the Raptors. This will be in March of next year and will be right next to Kobe Bryant's uh, numbers eight and 24. Yeah. Pau Gasol is one of the basketball greats for sure. Six time, all-star four time, all NBA. He was rookie of the year winner. Um, and he won two championships with the Lakers as well. So, um, he had such a great career, um, playing alongside Kobe. Um, definitely one to be deserving of a Jersey retirement, even though he was with the Lakers only for, I think about, seven or eight years so um just seeing how much he accomplished in the prime of that span is definitely special and he was definitely a big part of what spain was able to accomplish in, yep. in his international career too mm -hmm. but yeah it's just great to see him you know be recognized for that because he's very deserving of it and um he's definitely going to be a part of laker history forever mm -hmm. you think about gasol and kobe bryant going at it in the 2008 uh, Olympic gold medal match as well. I'm pretty sure in 2012 as well. Uh, yeah. You mentioned those two championships, Kyle, in 2009 and 2010. Um, getting to the championship in 2008 as well against the Celtics. Um, yep. Defeating the Celtics two years later in 2010. Um, you know, Kobe's even said in the past, you know, before he passed away, 
you know, that he doesn't win those two championships without Pau Gasol. And that shows you the yeah. impact that Gasol made under a coach like Phil Jackson. Yeah, most definitely. Um, just seeing his impact on, you know, Kobe, the franchise and the mm-hmm. fan base, you know, I don't think there's one person that hates Pau Gasol, you know, he's just the nicest guy ever. And he's so accomplished in his career and in his life. And so I think for those reasons, you know, he's so deserving of this. And um, it's great to see his legacy, you know, be left there because he was such a big part of what the Lakers accomplished and what happened in their community in in that time. And um, he's just a great influence on basketball and just humanity itself. I mean, just seeing him on Twitter, uh, always being so nice to people, you know, congratulating them or, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just great to see, you know, him as a person be honored for that. Yeah. As, as well. mm-hmm. And you think about how he's kind of been that, like that step, uh, not really stepfather, but that father figure for the Bryant family, but without him yeah. and without Kobe and Giano, uh, there as well too. Yeah. Um, speaking of the Lakers, um, the NBA schedule was announced on Wednesday. They're going to take on the Warriors in San Francisco to uh, on opening night, which I'm pretty sure is October 18th. Um, it's, it'll be the ring ceremony for the Warriors. Um, that would be the second game, and the game before that will be 76ers at Celtics. So both teams who appeared in the NBA Finals will play on opening night. Yeah, that's going to be two exciting games there. Uh, Sixers at Celtics. It was pretty competitive last season. And to see their fully healthy starting lineups, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And then uh, Lakers at the Dubs. Yeah, that's going to be a great game as well. Both teams being healthy. Um, we're going to see if the Lakers can, you know, keep up with the Warriors um, because they pretty much retain that same lineup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you think about um, 76ers, James Harden restructuring that contract. The yeah. Celtics um, as well. Um, you know, returning much of that team, as you mentioned. And uh, also being unveiled with the schedule is also the Christmas Day schedule. You got the Sixers and Knicks kicking it off in uh, the Garden at Madison Square Gardens. Then you got the Lakers and the Mavericks. So you think about LeBron going up against Luka Doncic. Then you got Giannis Antetokounmpo going up against the Boston Celtics in TD Garden. Then you got yep. the Grizzlies in uh, San Francisco to take on the Warriors. And then you got Suns at Nuggets uh, taking on Nicole Jokic. Yeah, and hopefully we'll see Jamal Murray return for the Nuggets as well and see the Nuggets be more competitive with Joker, you know, having one back-to-back MVPs. But, yeah, this whole Christmas slate I think is really great and always looking forward to seeing these games. I'm kind of surprised we don't have the Clippers in it this year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Lakers playing very early. I think this is the earliest I've ever seen the Lakers play on Christmas. They usually always have, like, the 5 p.m. game or the, the prime time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So um, that's definitely going to be a little bit more odd to see, but I love having the NBA on during Christmas. We're going to have some football on during Christmas yeah. this year as well with the Broncos. So it's going to be crazy. Hopefully I'm going to be with family, you know, celebrating, but also not going to be keeping my eyes on two screens at once. So I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> Just to give you an update for that Christmas Day sports schedule. Yeah. Um, so like I mentioned, Sixers and Knicks kicks off that begins at noon Eastern time. So I'll put these in Pacific time. So that's 90 in Pacific time. Then just an hour later, you got Packers at Dolphins um, at 10 p.m. 
Yeah. Or at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Then you got at 11.30 a.m. You got Lakers at Mavericks. Yep. Then you go back to football for the Broncos game taking on the Rams in SoFi CMS, a 1.30 kickoff. Oh, man. <laughs> then you get Bucks at Celtics. That is a 2 o'clock game. Grizzlies at Warriors. It's a 5 o'clock game. And then that, uh, I'm pretty sure that Christmas Day is a Sunday. So that Sunday night game is Bucks at Cardinals. So Tom Brady going up against DeAndre oh, Hopkins wow. and Kyler Murray. That is the Sunday night game at eight, uh, 5.20. And then oh at 7.15, the Suns are taking on the Nuggets at 7.15. Dude, this is going to be a great Christmas. <laughs> That's all I know. Uh, it'll be uh, interesting to see which uh, the Arizona faithful figure out which uh, which game they're going to be watching, whether it's the Cardinals or the Suns. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> do they want to see Tom Brady or do they want to see Nicole Jokic? Yeah, I, I think it also depends on how the Cardinals are doing at that point. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so that is the schedule. Um, other things surrounding the uh, NBA schedule, um, there will be uh, no games um, on Election Day, Tuesday, November 8th, to encourage everyone to vote, um, encourage players to uh, as well. Um, on November 7th, Monday, November 7th, the day before Election Day, all 30 teams will play the day before uh, in order to encourage fans to plan um, about the following day. Yeah, so you see the NBA making a change in that regard. I think they only had a couple games during Election Day last year, but mm-hmm. now you see you know, all 30 teams you know, playing the day before. So, um, yeah, good change there for the NBA. Um, and so we'll see if uh, they're going to continue to do that in the future as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, another point of highlights within the schedule um, in the late January after MLK weekend, uh, we know how important MLK, uh, MLK Day is to the NBA, mm-hmm. um, but after MLK weekend uh, from January Tuesday, January 24th to Saturday, January 28th, they blocked that schedule out for NBA Rivals Week, and it will... Um, It'll highlight um, some of the budding rivalries throughout the league um, and some players throughout the league as well. So that will include Boston and Miami. So you think about um, some of the previous um, playoff matchups um, as well. You think about Boston's big three versus Miami's big three. You've got uh, Clippers-Lakers. So there's your Clippers-Lakers matchup that you won't get on Christmas. Um, Brooklyn taking on Philly. Memphis, Golden State, Ja Morant going up against Stephen Curry. Yeah. Uh, you get a, I'm guessing a Michael Jordan matchup. Chicago going up against Charlotte. Um, then you got Dallas and Phoenix. Devin Booker going up against Luka Doncic. Uh, Memphis, Minnesota. Toronto, Golden State, Philly, and Denver. Brooklyn and the Knicks. So Knicks and uh, Nets. And then you got Lakers and uh, Celtics. Yeah. So you see a lot of the rivalries there go down. Um, that's going to be a fun week as well, um, I think, to watch in the NBA. So the way they have the schedule laid out, I, I like it a lot this season. Um, hopefully we're going to be able to get a lot of good games in. And um, it's going to be tough, though, you know, competing with the NFL, especially on Christmas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, games like that. So we're going to see what happens with that. Yeah. Um, all right. We're going to move on from the NBA to the NFL. News came out this morning on uh, Cleveland Browns quarterback, Deshaun Watson, who was suspended 11 games and was fined $5 million that would go to charity um, for his uh, actions surrounding sexual assault on uh, women. Yeah, so it's pretty crazy when you compare the suspension of Deshaun Watson. 11 games. Mm-hmm. Um, I, what was it, the recommendation at first? It was six. I think it was six, yeah. Yeah, and so you see this now happen um, when there's guys like Calvin Ridley getting suspended the whole season just for betting on his team. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, uh, change needs to happen at that level in the NFL because – the first game that he'll be able to play is against his former team in Houston. And so that's a big, you know, money-making game for the NFL right there. So um, maybe you see that suspension kind of that amount kind of be decided within this fate. And that's just, you know, the NFL trying to get more money out of this matchup than would initially happen. But man, yeah, it's just tough to see, you know, Calvin Ridley, guys like Josh Gordon, you know, they got suspended for, you know, one holy season um, and more, but Deshaun Watson only gets 11 games in this case. You know, it's something needs to change in the NFL. Um, I, I think it starts with Roger Goodell. I think his influence in this could have been a lot greater than it actually mm-hmm. was. Yeah. We think about some of the other suspensions around sports. You think about um, Trevor Bauer, his two-year suspension um, yeah. that comes into play as well. So um, just to – what this, I think, does is it just sets that precedent um, in future cases like this and similar cases like what we've seen, as you mentioned, from some of those players. Yeah, most definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, outside of these news from Deshaun Watson, preseason football has begun. Uh, the Raiders and the Dolphins will scare off on Saturday. It's the third preseason game for the Raiders. Um, it's week two of the preseason, and we've seen a lot of players get playing time. And, and not just players. We th- we, it's primarily starters. You think about Zach Wilson. You think about Trey Lance, um, for yeah. example. Even if it's for just one series or it's a couple of drives. Kyle, do you feel like there's too many starting players across rosters that are playing in the preseason? I think a little bit to an extent. Uh, I think, you know, if there's a player who was hurt last season or didn't see enough reps and you want to get him in a preseason game, I think that's totally fine, especially if he's, you know, starting caliber player or if he's on the borderline of starting at a position. I think that's great. Um, But I think to an extent, you know, um, quarterback should only be played, you know, one drive. I know that in the Broncos game this upcoming weekend, we're going to see Josh Johnson. Um, who's competing for the backup spot, um, you know, he's going to start the game against the Bills, and Josh Allen is starting for the Bills. So um, we're not going to see a Russell Wilson, but we're going to see a Josh Allen. I think that um, with the players that we're expected to see on the Denver defensive line, it's not going to necessarily be easy for Josh Allen. Um, So I guess we'll see what happens. Um, Even the, you know, backup edge rushers for the Broncos are pretty solid. Malik Reed's one of those guys, so... Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Josh Allen under a little bit of pressure. Um, so it's just, you know, cases like that, how, how much is he going to play against a team like the Broncos and, you know, these starting caliber players, um, I think they should definitely be limited to one or two drives at most. Uh-huh. Uh, 
but it should definitely be seen as a risk for any situation. Yeah, we saw, I think it was last week, we saw with the Eagles and the Jets, we saw Jalen Hurts take a late hit out of bounds, and luckily he was okay to come. But on the flip side, you think about Zach Wilson having a non-contact knee injury that has him sidelined through the rest of the preseason. It sounds like he's on track to return um, for the Jets in week one, but it just shows you, it just shows you how interesting each team decides on their starters and playing. Um, Obviously there's obviously certain intricacies intricacies that go within that. You think about Josh Jacobs playing at the hall of fame game. Well, that's um, the intricacy there is, Josh McDaniels, the new Raiders head coach, you know, wants to see where, you know, gets gets those live reads um, that they wouldn't get in practice. Yeah. So you see certain situations like that mm-hmm. come to play. Um, I think it's to be expected even in these upcoming weeks as well. Um, going to see more guys start here in week two, maybe even week three of the preseason. So, mm-hmm. um yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how teams approach this, but I, I think every team should play it safe. And this definitely affects fantasy football as well. If you're drafting early, um, you kind of can't see an injury coming, so it could definitely affect that, if, especially if you do decide to draft a little bit earlier on. Yeah, we saw that last year, Travis Etienne at running back, for example. We saw that with the Ravens, they're bringing back injuries, Gus Edwards. Um, J.K. Dobbins as well, both of them got hurt. And so um, it's always beneficial to have your draft a little bit later than, as you would uh, later than sooner. Um, but before uh, week one of the NFL season begins, probably, probably the best time to do your draft is after before week one um, yeah. begins on Thursday Night Football. And after um, all the announcements have made on who has made it, the 53-man rosters for all 32 NFL teams. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I'm having one of my drafts in a couple of days, and that's totally fine, but I just got to play it safe. And mm-hmm. this league that I'm going to be drafting in is two quarterbacks, so um, definitely got to be as strategic as I should there. Um, so if you are drafting soon, take heed of the news that yeah. happens here mm-hmm. in week two yeah. at least. Um it's definitely going to make your life a lot harder, but sometimes our schedules don't match and we have to draft a little bit earlier on. So yeah, uh, that's just how it's got to be. And so hopefully it's successful for all of us, but just as long as we pay attention and we do what our gut feels is right, I, th- I think we'll all be okay. Uh, do you have any tips when it comes to drafting quarterbacks? Well, I, I think it depends on your point system. If you have any differing, you know, point metrics compared to a standard league or a PPR league, obviously. But um, I, I think, you know, be careful with who you select in terms of running quarterbacks as well, um, just because they are a little bit more injury prone. Um, at the same time, you can look at past performance. That's kind of what I try and consider nowadays the weapons that they have on the outside, mm-hmm. also how good their offensive line is. Yeah, I think that's important to know and at least, you know, um, see uh, any passer ratings that might stand out. Um, I, I think it's 
definitely a time and era in fantasy football that, you know, having these mobile quarterbacks, you know, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, I mean, it's something that you would only usually take Michael Vick for back in fantasy, but now it's all these guys that kind of run with the football. So I think it's definitely a a changing kind of metric in terms of where you're Mm going to select your quarterback, what position, what round, but um, just – being aware of the weapons that they have, I think is most important. Yeah. I think if I had to give a tip, it's I think understanding that it's okay to draft late on quarterbacks. Yeah. Knowing that let's say you're in a 10 team PPR league, which kind of we're going to be in. And uh, you know that each team only needs one quarterback. And so you only need, you don't have to get Josh Allen knowing that, you can get another top five quarterback and let's say Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers in the ninth round for in the eighth or ninth round. Yeah. And Brevin, I know you've been doing some mock drafts and you've been getting quarterbacks fairly late in some of these mock drafts, you know, like Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes are going round five or, you know, even higher than that, but it's definitely interesting to see how people draft in some leagues because I know in our past, Brevin, we've had a lot of people take quarterbacks in round one and two, and it definitely yeah. kind of changes your approach to that, depending mm-hmm. on how fast they're going, you know, yeah. just because of the domino effect and what happens with that. But, yeah, I think of just knowing who you're drafting with and, and their yep. approach and you just paying attention to who is being picked. I think that's also really important. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing. It depends on – how your draft pans out as well, because let's say you're drafting and let's say you're picking in the early part of the fifth round and let's say Josh Allen's still there. Are you going to pick him or are you going to go after that wide receiver too? Yeah, exactly. And those are the questions that you need to ask yourself when that time comes ahead of time. Are you going to take like, and just, Pick an example. Are you going to take like a Brandon Cooks or a Terry McLaurin, or are you going to take Josh Allen, knowing the value that you're going to get with him, but knowing that you have Jalen Hurts in the eighth round, you could have Tom Brady in the eighth round, and they provide only 40 less points than Josh Allen, possibly. Yeah, and, and that's the thing about fantasy. It just all depends on who you take early on. Mm-hmm. What position you're in is really all it comes down to. Um, trying to approach drafting a quarterback just depends on the league that you're in. Um, and obviously, just whatever happens in front of you. Um, I think you just have to adapt to what happens in drafts sometimes, like we've had to prep it. Yeah. Because um, mm-hmm. anything can happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whether it's uh, first round tight ends, whether it's Third round quarterbacks, whether it's the eighth round kickers, you know, it's, I think you just have to be ready for it all. Eighth round kickers. Uh huh. Um, Kyle, I got to ask, would you draft Josh Howland this year? I know we brought him up, but if so, when would you draft him? Um, possibly. Yeah, I think I would. And if it came in round four, I think that would be great value. Um, I think that's kind of the sweet spot for Josh Allen just because of his potential, um, his running ability. And um, I think he's getting better in terms of making smarter decisions with the football. So 
that's a guy who I would want to maybe target late third round going into round four or five. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it just kind of all depends what happens in front of you too. Yep. Mm -hmm. I think I'm pretty much on the same boat. Like I said, it depends on obviously what happens before me. What can I expect after I pick? Um, And also, you know, the average draft position, the ADP. And I think, Another tip is if you're going to do mock drafts, things like that, you have to do it on the same site you're going to do your league because of rankings and ADP might be different from site to site. Yeah, exactly. Kyle, you're in a two quarterback league. So that opens up the question. Are there any sleeper quarterbacks? Yeah. Some sleeper quarterbacks. I don't, I don't really know. It's it's tough to say. I mean, this year in, the NFL, I think we all kind of know who's in which category in terms of top to bottom and um, and how players are ranked and how quarterbacks operate, the systems that they're in. Um, and so I think that some guys that kind of stand out are obviously, you know, the guys who can run. I think that Jalen Hurts could be one yeah. of those guys who take the next step in his career this season because we saw him definitely get better last year. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he pans out to be really, really good. I think Dak Prescott could also have a really good season. It just depends on his health and also if they add some more weapons to that team, because yeah. it really just looks like it's going to be Dalton Schultz and CeeDee Lamb getting the bulk of that. Um, but we all know how much they want to throw the football. So I think he could still have a big year, even with guys who necessarily aren't their conventional number one kind of standout receivers. Um, I think another kind of sleeper could end up being two attack of Iloa just because with Tyree kill on your team, you got Mike Kosicki as well. You can really do anything. So I think those are some guys that kind of stand out to me. Uh, and also add in Jalen Wado in that mix too, um, yeah. in that Miami offense. I think for me, sleepers, um, I think outside of that top 10 or 12, however you look at it, yeah. Derek Carr and Trey Lance could easily be two sleepers just because we've yeah. seen Derek Carr get uh, the passing volumes there for Derek Carr. And yeah. then with Trey Lance, it's just, it's kind of like that similarity to Jalen Hurts last year where we didn't know what to expect from him. And then he was, he's got top, top eight, top five upside um, with Jalen Hurts, I think. And in terms right. of QB twos, I think that's, I think that's the most interesting part. You think about quarterbacks like you put like Matt Ryan, Marcus Mariota, who yeah. is in that mix. Um, you could put, let's see. Um, oh, I had his name, but I blinked on it. Um, Daniel Jones is easily a quarterback two sleeper. Or no, he's not a quarterback Carson two sleeper. Yeah, he Carson went. He could be, mm-hmm. Um, Davis Mills even. Yeah. With the way he gets the ball to Brandon Cooks. Yeah. And how consistently Brandon Cooks gets you yards. It's easily right there. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, those are just some tight end two sleepers. I think another tight end one sleeper could be uh, Ryan Tannehill. Yeah. Just because we won't know what to expect. Now, without A.J. Brown in that offense, um, 
with Traylon Burks, with Robert Woods. So those are just a couple of sleepers, I think. Yeah, agreed. Mm-hmm. All right, next week we're going to talk about the running backs. We're going to talk about players like Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey, for example. But right now we're getting get into trivia. Kyle is on the block. And yeah. Kyle, one thing you brought up earlier was the way you draft quarterbacks in terms of yeah. whether you look at QBRs, you know, you look at how much the rushing ability is. Kyle, I want we're gonna look back at last year, Kyle, and see if you remember. I want you to tell me the top five fantasy PPR quarterback performances of last year. Man, this is pretty tough. All right. Sounds good. All right, so Josh Allen's gonna be up there. Yep, Josh Allen is his best fantasy performance came in week three last year when the Bills defeated the Washington football team 43 to 21. He had 37.2 fantasy points. So that's the lowest among the top five. He had a uh, completed 32 of 43 passes for 358 yards. He had four passing touchdowns. He also rushed uh, for nine yards and had a rushing touchdown for a QBR of 129.8. 128.8. All right. So where does he rank on that list? He is number five on that list. Right. He also has spots at six and eight on that list. Gotcha. All right. Um, how about Mahomes? Patrick Mahomes is not among the top five. His best performance was number seven on the list, which came in Week 10, when the Kansas City Chiefs defeated the Las Vegas Raiders 41-14 to on Sunday night football, Patrick Mahomes threw five, touchdown, uh, threw five touchdowns, completed 70% of his passes for 406 yards. All right. Um, how about Patrick Her- Mah- uh, Herbert? Yes, he is number one on this list. You remember that big week five against yeah. the Cleveland, Bra- uh, Cleveland Browns, the Chargers – Prevailed in that game of 47-42. He committed 42.8 fantasy points, completed 26 of 43 passes, good for 60.5% for 398 yards, had four passing touchdowns, as well as a rushing touchdown um, and total 29 rushing yards. Yeah. So there is Justin Herbert, number one on the list. All right. Uh, how about Joe Burrow? Joe Burrow, yeah. You think about that big week 16 that he had against the Baltimore Ravens that helped them continue to keep that playoff push alive uh, for him and the Bengals that week where Joe Burrow threw for 525 yards. He completed 37 of 46 passes, had 38.1 fantasy points, um, and he had four touchdown passes. And had two rushing attempts for 11 yards. So that's number two? That is number three. Okay. All right. Uh, Tom Brady's got to be on this list. Which he is. Um, pretty much all for his passing. He had one carry in that game for 13 yards. <laughs> um, that came also in week five, like Justin Herbert. That was a week where the Buccaneers defeated the Dolphins. 45 to 17, he had 37.7 fantasy points through yeah. for 411 yards and five touchdowns. Had a had that rushing one rushing attempt 
413 yards. It gave, um, pretty sure it gave the Bucks a big first down in that game. So five touchdown passes, uh, which was the most among this top five list. So that is number uh, four. All right, so we're looking for number two here. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, how about Aaron Rodgers? Aaron Rodgers not not on the top five and not on the top ten. Wow. Okay. The how about Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is not on the top five, nor like Aaron Rodgers, not on the top ten. Those are two good guesses, though. All right. I think I think one. How about uh, Stafford? Matthew Stafford, even despite hosting a top five fantasy finish last year for the entire season, is not in the top five, wow. nor on the top <laughs> ten. Man, this last one's pretty tough. Um, Lamar Jackson? Yep, he is number two on the list. This came in also in week five, so three week five showings. This one came Monday Night Football against the Indianapolis Colts. Colts. He put up 41.9 fantasy points, completed a um, 86% of his passes, so the highest amount among the top five. Uh, 37 of 43 passes for 442 yards for four touchdowns. Also had 14 rushing attempts for 62 yards and had a quarterback rating of that game of 140 and a half. Uh, I kind of forgot about that game. Yeah, he went crazy. Uh, just to let you know how the top 10, uh, the rest of the top 10. So Josh Allen in week five of Sunday night football against the Kansas City Chiefs. That was the game. The Bills beat Chiefs 38 to 20. Um, Josh Allen again in week 14 for number eight. You mentioned Patrick Mahomes, number seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, number nine on this list was Tyler Huntley in a replacement wow. opportunity for from Lamar Jackson in a 31-30 loss against the Green Bay Packers. And then number 11 on Sunday night, and number 10 on this list was from week 11 on Sunday night football when Justin Herbert defeated the Steelers 41-37. to Yeah, that's a really solid list. So that are, is the top 10 or the top 10 total quarterback performances, the top five, Justin, num, Justin Herbert up top. 42.8 fantasy points. Lamar Jackson, number two in week five of Monday Night Football, 41.9. Joe Burrow, week 16, falls at number three at this list, 38.1 fantasy points. Tom Brady, number four in week five uh, in a 45-17 win over the Dolphins, accumulated 37.7 fantasy points and round out the top five. Josh Allen accumulated 37.2 fantasy points. Yeah, I guess Lamar Jackson I should have probably said a little earlier on but other than that um yeah it's a solid list I guess I would have said Dak Prescott next Mm -hmm. after Lamar Jackson but is he even does he even fall in within the top like 15 or 20 top 10 PR because I remember he had a couple good performances, but yeah, uh, let's see. maybe let's even the same and... with Russell Wilson, but yeah, let me try to find that. I mean, just going through all these names just pretty much goes to show, I mean, how competitive this league is now and uh, teams getting these better quarterbacks. Um, 
because like I'm looking at the fantasy rankings for this season on the sporting news and they have like Kirk Cousins 15 and he was like top five in passing last year mm-hmm. like overall or something. Let's see. So after Justin Herbert, Kyler Murray's there at 11. He had 35.1 against the Vikings. Yeah. Uh, September 19th, so about week two. Um, also another Kyler Murray of two spots later in uh, to open the year. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Rodgers' best performance came November 21st against the Vikings, 33.5 points. Sam Darnold has cracked this list. He had 33 and a half points against Dallas on October 3rd. Oh, yeah. Um, Dak Prescott's best performance came on the final week of the year. He had 31.8 points against Philly uh, okay. on January 8th. So that is Dak Prescott. Uh, right. They don't have numbers, so it's kind of hard to yeah. figure that out. Yeah. No worries. That's About 21. Crazy. I would have expected Dak to be a little higher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that is the list of most PPR points by a quarterback last year in a regular season game. Yeah, next week we will go over running backs, right? So mm-hmm. yep. a lot of good options there as well. We've seen teams kind of get new looks in terms of their O-lines as well. Yeah. So it's going to be notable to pay attention to. I think this year we're going to see a lot more pass catching done by running backs just uh-huh. a lot more committee based running back uh as well running yeah. backs by committee yep absolutely uh-huh. all right that's going to do it for us here on down the line we talked some nfl we talked some baseball we talked some basketball as well both WNBA and the nba we touched on fantasy football just minutes ago talking all about the fantasy quarterbacks, including the subject of our trivia segment on fantasy football quarterback performances in a single game in 2021 last year. We talked Fernando Tatis Jr. suspension. We also talked um, the MLB playoff schedule being announced as well here in episode 62. You can follow Kyle at, on Twitter at KyleBBetch. You can follow myself at Fervin Honda. Um, for updates as to when this episode will come out um, as well. So that's going to do it for us here on Down the Line for Kyle Betts. I'm Brevin Hondo. We thank you for tuning into this week's episode, and we hope you tune in next week to Down the Line.